Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 16. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you give, forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Amen. We've been looking at Jesus' great teaching uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this morning, this text covers... uh, the idea of prayer, that is, people uh, who follow Him and experience Him, Jesus uh, gives us a way to communicate and to know Him better through the activity of prayer. Now, prayer is fascinating because um, if you examine what Christians do, and, and what, like one thing that Christians uh, love to do is to sing. Uh, singing is a, is a a thing that's beautiful, engaging, exciting to Christians, but you know that no one else does that in culture. There's like no activity where people get together and sing songs of any kind. Um, you know, teaching, though, is, is something that's really common in our culture. You can go get a TED Talk that's pretty similar to a sermon, but prayer is something um, that's really fascinating because whether or not you believe in Christianity or are skeptical of it, whenever something hard happens in the world, uh, people are drawn to prayer. I mean, if you see something uh, that sad happens on the news, it, it, it's amazing for how secular uh, the TV station is. They will almost always say something like, that person or those people are in our thoughts and our prayers. There was an article a couple years ago in the Washington Post called, uh, Some Nonbelievers Still Find Solace in Prayer. The article said this, atheists deny religion's claim of a supernatural God, but are starting to look more closely at the very real effect that practices such as going to church and prayer have on the lives of people who practice such things. They interviewed some person, uh, Siegfried Gold, who does not believe in a supernatural being out there attending to his prayers. He calls his creation God and describes himself as having had some sort of a conversion experience It's described as a miracle. He goes on to talk about his life being mysteriously transformed by the engaging an idea of wanting to figure out prayer. Look, there is something powerful about life in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of confusion, about trying to commune with somebody who will listen. But did you notice that Jesus says in verse 7, that, look, even the pagans are interested in this. 
but do not pray in a babbling way. And so the disciples come and they say, well, how then should we pray? And Jesus says, I know, I'll teach you. And he wants us, he wants us to pray in a particular way. And, and I'll, I would just say that wherever you are this morning, heading into the holiday season, you desperately need to bring this prayer into your life. Here's why. Because typically, if I ask you how life is going, here's what you say. I'm busy. I am so busy. And so when we talk about the idea of adding a prayer life into your practical life, that just immediately feels like to an American like, <clears throat> one more thing. But you know what? Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, addresses this very question. He says, if you find yourself busy... That's not actually a, a reason to avoid prayer. That's the reason to go into it. Because what prayer does is it doesn't give you a less busy life. It gives you a less busy heart, which is the symptom of your busyness. That what Jesus has for us here is the secret to a less busy heart, to a life of rest, to a life of perspective. And it is all found in this prayer. And there's five parts to it that you need to make your prayer. Here's the five parts to it. Approaching, adoring, aching, accepting, and asking. Here's what I mean. First, approaching. The prayer begins like this. Our Father. Now, this was an incredible thing for Jesus to, to teach and roll out because He's coming in to a Jewish culture that had only known uh, God as the personal covenant God, Yahweh, which they, was so uh, holy and so otherworldly that no one could pronounce it. So that when you prayed or you spoke, uh, if you were not the high priest, you would, even, you would not say Yahweh, you would say Adonai. And Jesus comes along and says there's a communion that's available now through Him to address God as our Father, that is to address Him with intimacy. Now, this doesn't mean that it's, uh, it's wrong to pray uh, to the Lord or it's wrong to pray um, to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. But if you're asking that question, my, the thought is, why would you want to do that from what G the intimacy and opportunity that Jesus gives us here? Um, and I, I have three children. And, you know, my three kids... Uh, can certainly address me in all the ways that I'm addressed in the world, which you can call me Alex, um, you can call me Pastor, you can call me Mr. Watlington, all of those names I've been called in my life. But there's only three people who are allowed to call me Dad and Father. And for, for my children, you know, it's like, why would, you want to call, why would you want to call him Alex? Why would you want to call him these other things when you have this great privilege of intimacy to call him Father? And if you know God is your Father, you know what this does is, is it means you can't ever avoid prayer because of what's going on in your life. See, some people think, uh, I, I'm just, I've not been spiritually in touch lately, or I've been struggling too much, and so prayer has uh, parallelly been out of my life. But, you know, that's only approaching God as a judge. But with, if God is your Father... Look, a, a father always wants your time. A father always wants to hear from you. A father always wants to hear whatever you have to say. 
It means you, if God is your father, you can go to him wobbling. You can go to him struggling. You can go to him wherever you are on the spiritual plane, and he will hear your prayers because he is your father. Look, that means one of the main reasons you and I don't pray very much is because we don't believe that God is our father. But Jesus says, look, when you approach him, there is an intimacy in a unique fellowship that is now privileged to you to go to your Father and to open up about your life. But once we go, secondly, we are to adore. Look back in the text with me again. He says, our Father in heaven. That is, uh, heaven uh, in the ancient Near East was known as God's space, God's presence. It's referring to God being, uh, He is infinite. He is transcendent. He is wholly other than us. Uh, and then it says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is uh, another way of saying holy, distinct, perfect. Uh, when it says your name, that's referring to God's character. His whole story, his whole being, everything about him is holy, is pure, is unlike anything else in this world. There is no stain, there is no wrinkle, there is no anything dark within him. And what Jesus says we ought to do in prayer is we ought to go and worship and adore that. That when you go in prayer, you ought to spend a significant amount of time celebrating God's character. Now, I I mentioned this last week, but but there is a distinctness from that to thanksgiving. That is, there's a, a difference between going to God and thanking Him for all of His love and for all of His gifts and all of His mercies upon us, which we should do. But there is a whole nother celebration and access to Him where we sit in and adore and, and engage in who He is and what makes Him so beautiful and worthy of giving all of our life and attention to. Because what prayer is meant to do is it is meant to grow our fellowship and intimacy with God. And anybody who you have a great relationship with you don't get together with them to get something out of them. You get together with them just to be with them. Look, you know that age-old question, if you could have dinner with anybody, uh, famous, your, your favorite author, your favorite athlete, your favorite movie star, whatever else, uh, who, who would it be? Whatever that is for you, I, I'm, what a waste it would be to have dinner with them and just ask them for a favor to just ask them um, to do something for you. Because if you get together with somebody who's so wonderful and so great that you dream of having dinner with them, wouldn't you want to get together with them and talk about how great they are and celebrate them and experience some of the great things that they do? That's what Jesus says that we ought to be doing in prayer. And you know what? This is so practical for our lives. Because whatever you think about most... Whatever you dwell on most makes you into who you will be for hard situations in life. See, when you get squeezed and when you get cut in life, the heart of who you are will come out. And what adoring God in prayer is meant to do is to bury God's holiness, His goodness, His his faithfulness, His mercy, His sovereignty so deep into the root of who you are, that when life smacks you, that's what comes out. That when life rocks you this way, 
this is what will most hold you up and sustain you in life. Navy SEALs, they train for, for 30 weeks in the most dire, intense situations ever, that they go through every possible worst-case scenario and experience it in the most real, dangerous way possible. Why? So that when the real things happens, they're prepared and trained for it. And what, the whole, what, what adoring God in prayer will do is that when temptation comes, when suffering comes, when difficult situations with other people come out, what, will you, what your heart is being trained for is to reflect God in those moments when you adore and treasure Him. I'll give you an example of this. If you go read the, the story of Stephen in the book of Acts, what happens to him is, is Stephen begins to be persecuted for what he's preaching. And so they start to stone him and tell him to recant. And he will not recant. And it says, as they're stoning him, as they're killing him, you know, what happens is Stephen sustains it, and he sustains it uh, praying for these people. And it's, you know, why? It says, because he looked up and saw the heavens open, and he saw Jesus advocating for him. Which means, in the heart of Stephen's soul, at the very bottom of it, what was burned most deeply into his life was Jesus' advocating for him, was the gospel, was the beauty of God's love and intervention for all things, so that when suffering happened, that's what came out. And what the Lord's Prayer in this part is meant to do is that when you get into a hard situation and the world begins to stone you, God's holy, adoring character will come out. But after that, thirdly, we are to pray with aching. The text says this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It says, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As we are to pray that what is true around God and what is true with what He will do begins to be more real here and now. We went through this this summer, but if you go to the end of uh, the book of Revelation, you get some amazing pictures and visions of what God wants to do with this world. Uh, the, the Christian vision of salvation is not just that you and I have our sins forgiven and go to live in a whole other place. The idea is that God is going to come here and renew this world and renovate all of creation, that everything that you and I interact with that's broken, the systems that are broken, the, f- the physical world that is broken, the cultural realities that are broken, God is going to come and heal and renew all of that. And now Christians are to participate in that renewal through prayer so that we should be be looking out at the world and seeing the broken things around us and praying with God in ache. And as you begin to do this, what it's beginning to do is to train your eyes to see this world the way that God sees this world. And do you remember the book of Revelation also tells us this in chapter 8, when it's talking about the, the seals being broken. It says there is a, a 30-minute break in heaven before the last seal is broken. 
And there's a Jewish rabbinical uh, commentator who says, you know, uh, the prayers um, are done at night. And the why? It's because God, that, that's when the angels will stop singing, and so God can hear the prayers of the saints. And it suggests that when you and I pray, and when we pray against the evil things in this world, and we pray for renewal to come, we're actually shaking the corners of this earth. And moving God's kingdom more and more and more to have light overtake the darkness. Now, some of you do already see the brokenness of this world, but you can see it in one of two ways. You know, when we watch the news and we hear a story, our heart is tempted to either go down the train of cynicism or the train of action and hope. Now, the natural heart, what it will do is look at things in this world and see the brokenness, but not see them the same way that God sees them and not see them with an ache, but see them with a frustration and cynicism. And what cynicism will do is is it looks at the problems of this world and it identifies all the mistakes and then walks away and nothing changes. Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, he says this, to be cynical is to be distant while offering a false intimacy of being in the know. Cynicism actually destroys intimacy. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. A praying life is just the opposite. It engages evil. It doesn't take no for an answer. The psalmist was in God's face, hoping, dreaming, asking. Prayer is feisty. Cynicism, on the other hand, merely critiques. It is passive, cocooning itself from the passions of the great cosmic battle that we are engaged in, and it is always done without hope. Look, when you watch the news and you learn about things that happen in this world, do you know why it it drags your character down in the mud instead of renewing it? It's because you're watching it without hope. You're watching it and seeing all of the frustration and all the discouragement, and you just think this world needs, is going to hell in a handbag, and you're just done with it. But what this prayer will do is it will train you to watch the news and to ache and to long for God to renew it and how you can pray and go to God feisty, longing for that to change. And you, and you know, if you don't do this, Christianity will become very boring to you. There's an interesting chapter in C.S. Lewis's um, book, The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read that, it's, um, it's an imaginary um, uh, uh, fiction book for uh, C.S. Lewis where he, he imagines the devil uh, training a disciple how to lead somebody away from the faith, how to keep somebody from actually following Christ. And there, one of the chapters in the book Uh, He says, uh, here's how you can keep him from really following Christ. Make all of his prayers be only concerned with himself and make sure he neglects the world around him. And what he says is, if you only pray for yourself and what's going on in your world, your world will shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and you'll wonder, you know what, this only affects me. Why do I care about this? Why would I ever give anything up? Why would I ever affect any other part of my life? See, but, but the prayer of thy kingdom come, 
You know what this does? Is it opens the door for the gospel to go in every part of your life. If you start to pray, thy kingdom come, what will happen is God will begin to influence your work. He'll begin to influence your resources. He'll begin to influence your neighbors. He'll begin to influence your marriage. He'll begin to influence how you think about your free time, how you think about you should spend your weekends, how you should think about spending your holidays. All of the doors begin to be opened. Because you begin to pray, how can light move into darkness in every sphere of this world? And you begin to pray things that are way more than just your needs. You begin to even sometimes have prayers that the needs of the kingdom actually come up against your own needs. But it will give you daily purpose and meaning in this world. He says, go approaching our Father. Go adore His character. Go ache thy kingdom come. And then fourthly, He says, we have to pray a prayer of acceptance. Thy will be done. And I'll just say to you pastorally, this is the hardest part of this prayer. Because what you're saying is you're saying, God, I will obey you even though I don't like it. And I will accept the things in my life right now even though they don't make sense. Now, notice also in the structure of this prayer, this comes before Jesus gives us requests. It's as if you and I need to learn to accept everything going on in our life before we know we need to ask for. That we have to get comfortable with what we have and with what God is doing and content with that before we know what we actually need in life. And you pray that by learning to say, thy will be done. Now, if you don't learn to pray that, it's going to be a very slippery slope into doubt, into skepticism. Because, you know, inevitably in life, you're going to have some very hard circumstances come up. Like somebody's going to get sick. Or somebody's going to go a certain way in a relationship. And you can, you can spend aggressive hours in prayer, longing and pleading for God to do something, and it may never happen. And if you don't have the prayer, thy will be done, in your vocabulary, it will either think, make you think that God is not good or He's not even there. Because, friends, there, there are times where God will answer your prayers in ways that make no sense to you until years later. We may not even know why He did certain things in our lives that we prayed for until the end of history. But the only way to cope with that now is to learn to pray, Thy will be done. And and it kind of presents options for you in life. See, you can either in life reach for control in every circumstance of your life, thinking the only way to find peace and contentment is if you more and more get control of your life, if you get full control over your money and finances, if you get full control over all of your children's decisions, if you get full control over every possible future scenario, that will be the way to peace and contentment. But the burden of that is exhausting. The other option is to pray this prayer, thy will be done. And if you can begin to accept that, 
if you can begin to pray, thy will be done, you know what it does is, is it makes the hard things in your life an opportunity to minister to others with. There was an incredible um, interview with uh, Stephen Colbert about a year and a half ago where Anderson Cooper was interviewing him, and Colbert is talking about his faith and how it's come up in his life and, and ministered to him. And as he talked about his story, he mentioned the hardest thing in his life was that when he was 11 years old, his dad and two brothers were killed in a plane crash. And this really tragic part of his life, he said he'd learn to be thankful for. And Anderson Cooper just was dumbfounded. He just, how in the world can you be thankful for that? And it wasn't a dumbfounded, oh, what's wrong with you? It was a, what do you have? And he said, you know, this really difficult, challenging thing has opened all sorts of doors of love for me. He said this. He said, what do you get from loss? You get awareness of other people's losses, which allow you to connect with that person, which allows you to love more deeply and to understand what it's like to be a human being if it's true that all humans suffer. See, the the incredibly difficult things in your life are unbelievable opportunities to minister and care for other people. Look, nobody can empathize with somebody who's lost a baby more than somebody who's lost a baby. Nobody can empathize and care for somebody more who's struggling with addiction than somebody else who's struggled with addiction. Nobody can understand and care for somebody more who's just lost their job and career than somebody who's been through the exact same thing. But you know what? Until you begin to pray, thy will be done, those things that have happened to you will be closed off to the world and you'll become cynical and you'll never, ever, ever let it be something that leads you to empathize and care for other people in their suffering. But if you will pray, thy will be done, you know what it does? Is It turns every suffering moment upside down. Not into something that destroys you, but almost something that heals you and heals other people. If you will learn to pray and accept that. Charles Spurgeon has an amazing line where he says, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Look, the waves of life, you can either curse them or you can kiss them. But if you will kiss them, they will throw you up against a God who will heal you in the midst of the suffering and make you someone who can do that for other people. If you have a prayer of acceptance. But lastly, he says, with all these things, then go go asking. And there are horizontal requests and there are vertical requests. Here's the horizontal requests. Uh, forgive our trespasses just as you forgive other people's. He says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, what does he mean here? Because from the first reading, it seems like Jesus is saying, I will forgive you on the condition 
that you forgive other people. But that's actually contrary to the rest of the gospel and the rest of the New Testament's teaching. It is, it is not a conditional forgiveness that God gives us. It is an unconditional forgiveness that God gives us. However, if you do not forgive other people, it doesn't say something about God's heart. It says something about your heart, which is that you have never accepted His forgiveness. See, what this prayer is meant to do, forgive our debts as we forgive other people, is God is trying to, get to uh, protect us from ever isolating our prayer life from what's going on in our relationships. That you should always be experiencing grace and giving out grace. And if you're not able to do that, then the rest of your prayers are actually babbles. Because you're not going to God and experiencing Him through the gospel. You're standing on some sort of platform, which is the same platform that allows you to think that somebody is not worthy of forgiveness. See, if you're standing on your righteousness, then there's always somebody who's shorter than you. And there's always somebody who you can look down on and think that they're not worthy of forgiveness. But what this prayer ought to do is that it ought to train your soul to get out in front of where your heart is at times. And I'll tell you this, if there's somebody who you hate right now, one of the best ways to begin to love them and to heal your heart of that hate is to start praying for them. A dear sweet lady told me one time, you can't hate anybody who you pray for. And so Jesus says, you must pray for your reconciled relationships horizontally. But then he says vertically. He gives us these prayers. Give us our daily bread and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now notice he says daily bread. As in you need not worry about five years from now. You and I don't need to spend all of our prayers and all of our thoughts worrying about what's coming in a year, what's coming in two. It doesn't mean don't be wise and don't plan, don't think. But the majority of our life when we go there is spent in worry. And Jesus wants us to focus on the daily needs. When he says daily bread, bread is, is not a pleasure. It's not uh, an overflow of life. It is a need. He says, pray for your daily needs. You know what that will do? It will make you thankful. Look, the more that you focus on what you need to get through the day, the more thankful you will be. And the more thankful you are, the more content you will be in life. He says, forgive us our debts. We need mercy for our conscience. And lead us not into temptation. Strength and direction for facing challenges. And with these requests, you know what Jesus is saying? Is what we most need every day is contentment, humility, and clarity. That, that's all you need tomorrow. You need to wake up and you need to ask God for contentment today for humility, for all your relationships, and for clarity about what is wise, holy, pure for your life. And if you're not praying for those things, you know what you're doing? You're secretly saying, 
that all you need for life to survive and thrive is money and talent. But when Jesus gives us these things, do you know if you go ask God for them, He will give them to you. He will give them abundantly to you. He longs to give you the things that you most need. There's a legend about Alexander the Great that said when uh, one of his generals was going to get married, Alexander wanted to help with the wedding. So the general went and asked for an exorbitant sum to pay for the wedding. And all of the uh, fellow soldiers were nervous that that kind of a request was going to get this guy killed. It was going to be an insult to Alexander the Great. But actually, what Alexander the Great did is he, he gave him the exorbitant sum. And when somebody asked him, you know, why would you do that? We thought you were going to kill him. He said, are you kidding me? What an amazing compliment that he would think that I am that generous and that I am that loving that I would give such a great sum. You know, there's a place in Ephesians 3 where Paul is doing this prayer and he says, look, God is able to do abundantly more than we ask. You, you know, he, he will do more for you than you ask. He will give you more contentment. He will give you more humility. He will give you more self-forgetfulness. He will give you more clarity for your life than you will even ask for. He is so generous. He is so eager to give these things out as your Father. Let's close this way. Look, what keeps you from praying this? What keeps you from approaching Him as your Father, from adoring Him in His character this way, from aching with His eyes for the world, from accepting Thy will be done and asking for these kinds of things? You know, it, it is just cynicism in our own struggles. Which means we don't just need this template for prayer. We actually need somebody to pray it for us. And you have one in Jesus. Do you know that in His dire moments... Jesus prayed almost this entire prayer. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane the day before he's going to be betrayed and killed for all of us. And he's staring at the midst of God's wrath and he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. And when God says no, he says, thy will be done. You do it. And as he's taken on the cross, and they're mocking him, and they're hating him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive their trespasses. And you know what? He goes through almost the entire prayer saying all of these things. And when he was cut, and when he was insulted, and when he was bleeding, what came out was the beauty of God in Scripture and the praiseworthiness of God and the prayers for us. But there's one thing that Jesus doesn't pray for on the cross. You know what it is? He doesn't pray, forgive my debts. It's because on the cross, He's taking on our debts. And He's not being forgiven. He's being punished for it so that you can have this prayer and you can pray to God as your Father. Look, it's a lost art, but imagine, um, imagine you had a journal. And in it, uh, you wrote to, you know, an intimate name, your intimate uh, description for the journal, 
And then you wrote out all of the wonderful things that you adored. All of the things you celebrate, all of the things that you most love, that you most hold dear. Then you wrote out the things that you hate the most, that you're sad about, the things that are hard to watch, the things that you don't know how to live with. Then you wrote out things that you're trying to accept in life but don't know how to, things that don't make sense to you, that you're hurting, that there's tears shed over. Then you write out people who you're having a hard time with, who you most dislike, who you don't know how you'll ever forgive. Then you write out what you wish you had, what you think you need, but what you know you should ask for and you don't know how to ask. And you just had this on your desk. And what if somebody read it? I mean, you'd be like, it would, feel, it would feel like whoever read this will definitely not like me and definitely not love me. And you know why we think that? It's because we write that without the gospel. See, what the gospel does is it makes all of your thoughts, all of your prayers, read by somebody who loves you and accepts you not on the condition of how fervent you are in your prayer, but by grace and grace alone. So that when they read it, they love you more. And when you know they read it, you love them more. And that, friends, is the Lord's Prayer through the gospel. Make that your prayer. Let me pray. Father, so many of these words we need in our life, but they're hard. Thy will be done. Lord, help us to see Jesus praying that for us that it can be our prayer. That wherever we are today, Lord, there are things in our life that we have to learn to live with. And we need your beauty and we need your character and we need your grace and love in order to be able to accept it. Make us thankful, loving people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.